This episode was recorded before the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. The effects of the pandemic have canceled many opera seasons around the world and will prevent opera companies from producing live shows for at least another six months. Therefore, companies have plenty of time to make adjustments. We here at Opera Unbound believe that Black lives, voices, and art matter. We will continue to learn and help support the fight to end racism. A portion of this episode discusses the issue of race representation on stage. We realize that we have an incomplete understanding of how to best address this topic, and that we want to see casting decisions that reflect the diversity of our country. Many opera companies are hosting discussions on this topic. We will share a list of these discussions on our Patreon page. Hello, this is Opera Unbound a podcast that breaks the barriers between opera singers and the audience. We will cover the process, challenges, stereotypes, and inspirations associated with opera. I'm Rachel Moss, the host, and this is my co-host, Mike Heitman. You can learn more about our podcast at www.patreon.com slash opera unbound. All right, welcome back to another episode of Opera Unbound. Today, we are talking about companies picking repertoire and making their seasons. So we're going to discuss, first off, the company's mission, because that obviously will influence what type of repertoire they choose to put on. And we're going to talk about their audiences, budgets, collaborations, the seasons, and um, political statements or social statements. Let's talk about company missions. Um, we're going to be talking about North American, mostly United States opera companies. Different companies have different missions. There are companies that choose only to do, like Sarasota, they choose only to do any operas basically Verdi related, either Verdi, Puccini, or other influencers or people influenced by Verdi, which means they basically don't do many operas that were written after about 1920. Mm-hmm. But they sell out every performance, so they have a very loyal audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another company that that we've mentioned briefly before that has kind of the uh, a niche, but kind of in the opposite direction, is Pacific Opera Project, which is where they do non-traditional takes on all the normal shows that we see. I'm trying to think what they're doing right now. They're doing a mix of Skiki and L'Enfant, I think. Yes. So they, they did that. They Every year they do a modern version of Boheme for around Christmas called The Hipsters, which is really cool. Like I mentioned on the previous podcast, they did the uh, Super Mario Magic Flute. Um, they did a really cool version. This is probably one of the coolest things I saw that they did, and I heard it was really well received, is they did Butterfly, which will go into how political and social statements and how this all factors in later. But just suffice it to say, Butterfly is a very politically and socially charging piece right now because of many things, the biggest one being cultural appropriation 
And so the way that they worked around the piece, because there's a ton of great music in it. It's one of Puccini's most performed operas because the story takes place in Japan. They had all the characters who are Japanese, all of the singers, they had to be of Asian descent, number one. And number two, they translated it from Italian to Japanese. So they were... Right, s- I remember that. I really wanted to see that. So they, they did those in Japanese. And then, of course, there's, if I remember correctly, three Americans in the, the show. Uh, P- yes. Pinkerton, Sharpless, and Kate Pinkerton. And whenever they sang, it wasn't in Italian, it was in English. It was just a really cool way to not only get around potential barriers, but also to really make it more legit in what the story is about uh, Mm -hmm. versus the other things that often happens, which is whitewashing. Yellow face. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of the colored faces. Uh, that people can potentially, unfortunately, do. That's another company that's really, really fun to follow on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. You should check them out. All of you at home, you know, but then there are just traditional companies that want to say, hey, we love opera and we want to make it as accessible and as engaging as we can using the standard pieces. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we just want to promote culture and within our, our city or our state. I think it's really important for companies to really have a clearly defined mission because then it makes all of this easier instead of abroad. We just want to promote the arts because that that's really wishy-washy and you get kind of in the mud a little bit it's kind of like to compare it to something else i don't know if you're like me but i listen to a lot of podcasts political and social ones and i have a hard time taking certain ones seriously when they claim to be objective when clearly they have a slant one way or the other whether it's to the right or to the left but they're like no we're straight news i'm like no you clearly bend one way or the other if you just were up front and said, we are left or we are right, then it's a lot easier to handle. So if companies say, hey, our mission is bah, then it's easy to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that companies' missions should be driven by the communities they serve. That obviously, uh, two birds with one stone, they will have the greatest impact and they'll probably fill more seats. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard for some companies, you know, some some companies in the U.S. become so large. Obviously, you have the Met and, you know, Chicago, um, San Francisco and Houston, right? Those are Mm -hmm. honestly, but people travel across the United States or even uh, from around the world to go see operas at these houses. They have uh, a challenge in that they have to serve on a national or global platform as well as serving their local communities. Yeah, totally. Let's actually jump to the next thing because this will dovetail real nicely. You know, knowing your audience. If you do have such a broad audience like the Met or San Francisco where people are coming in from all over, you can't just placate to those potential people that are traveling only, right? So Mm -hmm. you, you can have your normal season, but if you want to also incorporate a lot of local things, what you can do is figure out what audience you want to target and then do like like these outreach performances in non-traditional venues, smaller venues, and do pieces that are more geared to a specific target audience that you Absolutely. want 
want to either bring in or just give a voice to. It's like we mentioned with As One, the transgender opera, a lot of places that it's been performed have been in communities that are very pro-LGBT. And so it's a story that's, it is very relatable to the people in those communities. On on top of being a, a great piece, it's also a smart move by those companies to help bring in people to the arts because some of those people may feel like, well, this, this art form doesn't speak to me because it's all old. I mean, and for the most part, it's pretty cisgendered, right? Yeah. The representation yeah. on stage, at least. Yeah. Now, obviously, when you know your audience, you, you should, if you are invested in the numbers in your company, uh, and if you're smart, you'll keep track of those numbers, you should know what your yeah. current audience is. But every company has a challenge, as we all have heard, because opera apparently has been dying. And the irony is that everyone says that it's dying, but yet it's having the most operatic death ever, which is you get stabbed and then you sing for like five <laughs> hours about how you got stabbed. You have to look towards the future. You have to figure out where you can improve your audience because one of the the tropes in the opera community in terms of the, the patrons is that it's all old people that have lots of money, mostly white and all that to a certain extent there's only so much you can do about that stereotype if you're not willing to go into like we mentioned with these outreach performances go into other communities and or program shows that are more engaging to a younger or uh, potentially more diverse audience now i think that this is one of the most important reasons why how you craft your season and what repertoire you choose are so important i looked up the last year's 50 most performed operas the top 10 only one of them is not Verdi, Puccini, Mozart, or Rossini. Can you oh. guess which one it is? Which opera falls wait, wait, into wait. that category? Carmen. It's It's got to be Carmen. It's not. It actually is an American composer. I think oh. this is just because this particular opera has had a, had, had a lot of performances the last year, and that is Porgy and Bess by Gershwin. Oh. Well, that's that's a good. It's one of my favorite American operas. It's That's good yeah. that it's on the list. But I'm really surprised that Carmen didn't make it, because... I, I remember this was a couple of years ago. I was doing research for a recital, kind of doing like a top 10 or whatever. And I could have mm -hmm. sworn Carmen was on there. So that's. Uh... Yeah, globally, Carmen is second. Oh. And usually is. But in the United States, it actually is 12th for last year's season only. If oh, I okay. did a five year, it would be different. All right, fair enough. I think it's important for companies, you know, if if they're trying to grow an audience and cultivate an audience that's younger, um, getting new opera people in, once you've become an opera fan, you're typically one for life. It's, it's not a fad fanhood. Yeah. I think that younger audiences are typically going to be more intrigued by newer art mm -hmm. yeah. and things probably in English, although I don't think that language is as much of a barrier for younger audiences as our country becomes more diverse. I think I think that young audiences aren't bothered by watching things in foreign languages. Yeah, as long as there's some like surtitles or whatever, you know, I think a lot of people will be able to, to get over that if that's a barrier for them the next thing of course is budgets which is always a hard topic because the companies are weighing okay so we have a venue we have these artists that we want to pay and the amount of money that goes to certain artists over other artists because of either star power or whatever it can be really really tricky that's one thing that as companies struggle with their their budgets 
I'm not saying that you should pay the artist less because let's just be honest, both you and I know that most artists are not making hundreds of thousands of dollars in opera. Most. No. Like 90. 90- I know, I know. I know people who are like solidly working and they're working at some of the top houses and they're not even making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, so. exactly. And, and just to put it into perspective, the top paid opera artist in, I don't know if this is in the world, but in the United States at least is Renee Fleming and she makes around $4 million a year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that actually comes from consulting and not being on stage. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you want a lucrative career in opera as a singer, you should go into being a chorus member, honestly, at a major company like the Met or Chicago Yeah, Lyric. Or, honestly, I think a partial problem may be, <laughs> I hate to say this, administrative bloat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think that uh, some opera companies run into this problem just like colleges do. There've become so much administrative bloat, and, and you pay those people year-round. Yeah, an artist you pay for a short amount of time. Yeah. But you're having to provide benefits and all this other incurred costs, the more administration you have. And then, of course, you you have to have an ad campaign, which can be depending on how savvy your marketing department is. That can either be really expensive or almost kind of not worth. I'm not going to say it's not worth the money, but Mm -hmm. I I think we've all seen, and it's not just an opera, but like people who clearly know how to market for a specific thing and those who don't. One of the things that's really cool about, you know, Rachel and I both either work or have worked at Seattle Opera. One of the things that I think that they do really well is their online marketing and their commercials and all this stuff. And what's really cool about them is they all have kind of like a similar look in terms of the the text. So you know exactly what it is every single time it comes up. It's never like, wait, what is this? It's opera, but like what company is it? You know exactly from the get-go what it That's is. That's true. That's very true. I, I do say I, I, I miss non-photograph posters and things. I'm a fan of visual art. Not to say the photography is mm. not visual art, but I think there's something to say about the beauty of illustration poster art. Yeah, totally. One thing that it can cut cost or also exacerbate it, <laughs> depending on what you're using, is potential collaborations you may have. Like, for example, most major companies, they have an orchestra, right, that they use regularly, whether it's, well, the Met has the Met Orchestra. And for the most part, yeah, my understanding is is that's all they do is they just do Met shows, which I don't know how they would have time for really anything else because the Met is so busy. Yeah. But other companies, they may be doing the shows for the opera company in town, but they also may be a part of the local symphony, which may also be a major player. Sometimes you want to do collaborations, for example, if you're doing a Baroque piece and you want to do it on Baroque instruments, it's a good idea to bring in a Baroque orchestra versus your regular orchestra, which absolutely depending on how that all runs down that may be more or less money there's other collaborations with dance companies you have something like aida which has a huge dance number many other shows of that time period have huge ballets and all that you may want to incorporate Mm -hmm. the local ballet company something that we've seen a lot of in recent years is companies collaborating together on productions to split costs oh yeah that's true too which i honestly i think is smart because one it, it helps them put on operas that they wouldn't have been able to put on um, if they had to, to incur all the costs by themselves. And that opera now not only gets seen in one community, but more than one community, which is also very smart. 
Mm-hmm. And also, from an artist's perspective, if they... I don't know if this is always the, the deal when they do these kinds of collaborations, but if they can have the principal singers be the same or most of them be the same throughout the different mm-hmm. shows one as a singer that's guaranteed work two it's more cohesive from from city to city because maybe singer a like say the lead soprano is just amazing in city a but then mm-hmm. it's a different person for city b and while they may be very good it's just not the same as city a whereas <laughs> if if they want to make a name for a certain production I mean, like the way they do it with Broadway, like shows go on tour and the cast is pretty much the same the entire time. It might be sped up like the first half of the tour will be done by this cast and the second half will be done by this cast. But they I mean, they they cast the tour ahead of time. Yeah, I think that that is genius and makes their job easier. Yeah, at least for casting directors. And the show is very cohesive then. Mm-hmm. you're right you're not having to plug and play with different parts that you're may not have fit exactly the same they fit but perhaps not the same mojo that others do yeah or if nothing else at least have the same director because okay we're gonna blow some people's mind here give you a real look behind the curtain every single show is written down and choreographed yeah so rachel and i were both in aida for seattle opera a couple of years ago and this was a production that had been at Washington National Opera. And I think it either had just been at San Francisco or it was going to San Francisco. I can't remember the timeline of everything. I think it was just at San Francisco. Was, the director was the person at San Francisco also, Lauren Meeker. She's fabulous. And when she came to work with us, she's like, well, in San Francisco, we did it this way and this way. And this is how it looks in our book. This is where you're supposed to move at this particular time. If you at least have the same director, then your quality control, for lack of a better term, uh, in terms of the staging and the acting, is going to be more cohesive across the different iterations, which just keeps the integrity of the the show. Sure. All right. So we've kind of touched on a lot of different things here. Now let's let's talk about crafting a season. Yeah. there's a lot of different things, so we'll just kind of touch on whether you do standards or not, or modern pieces, or pastiche, which is another thing that goes in between. It's not really necessarily modern, but it's potentially pastiche, just for those who don't know. Pastiche is really where you take music that's already written, but you create a new story and you piece together different shows to make a completely different show. Like the Met did this really cool piece called The Enchanted Island. It's a bunch of Baroque music that they crafted this really cool fantasy story about this enchanted island Hmm. so what are some of your thoughts on what companies should consider when they're crafting a season aside from what we've already talked about obviously as we talked about knowing your audience your mission statement and your budget are going to be the three major things that influence this I believe, though, that all American companies should shoot for a minimum of 25% of their shows in English. Agreed. Yeah. I also think that a quarter of their shows should be modern. And I mean, like, written in the last 50 years modern, mm-hmm. not mod- necessarily modern uh, adaptations. If we want to really embrace the future of opera, we have to not be afraid to take risks and put on modern opera <laughs> for yeah. one and those modern pieces can be in english so that you know two birds with one stone there that leaves 
up to 50% of your season being these traditional Puccini, Mozart, Rossini, Verdi seat fillers. Yeah. I think that really for a lot of companies, it's a matter of where are we going to make the most money and where are we taking the hit potentially? I think that comes down to marketing. I mean, and obviously uh, what it involves to put on a new opera... That's true with rights can be pricey, but I mean, honestly, it doesn't cost you anything in rights to put on Mozart, Verdi, Puccini. I mean, like literally that's, yeah. it's definitely saves you money. Personally, as an opera singer, like I'll tell you, I've never seen Bohem. I'm just not interested in it. Oh, interesting. I'm going to be in it this, this coming spring <laughs> <laughs> as a chorus member. But I've never seen the opera. The story doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, I just don't care to hmm. see it. Fair enough. But I'm very interested in seeing new operas. I've I've seen a fair amount of operas throughout my life. A lot of the the normal ones. I've seen Dietzabruta, Barbara of Seville, Madame Butterfly, or Don mm-hmm. G, Figaro. You mm-hmm. know, I've seen I've, Carmen. I've seen a lot of the classics. I, as an audience member, am looking to see what's new. What have I not? scene so and that can include classical repertoire i also wish that more russian opera was done because i really just love oh totally yeah but i'm looking for new operas that are changing the future of opera but also like what are they saying about our society today because for me that's a major tenet of the arts is that it's a reflection of our society and is usually making some sort of commentary on ways that we can improve ourselves. Yeah, and that's a pitfall too, or a potential pitfall in trying to do a modern adaptation of a show just in general, even if you're putting it in English. But I think especially when you're just updating the production, but not taking it out of the original language right Mm -hmm. like how can you make a social commentary really effectively with something like figaro but you still keep it in italian like that it's pretty hard to do that effectively i think even though we still deal with this power and lust and all that stuff yeah i i definitely agree with the 25 percent rule for companies to at least shoot for that my bend of course is always trying to put things in english (laughs) if at all possible Even though, I mean, I'm obviously not against original language of the pieces. There's so many modern operas that I wish would be done more. The Dead Man Walkings, The Ballad of Baby Does, Susanna. Oh my goodness. Actually, Susanna is on the top 10 most produced North American works. Okay, good. Yeah, Porgy, of course. Porgy's on there. I I think that we should mention this. The top 10 most produced North American works. Susanna... Porgy and Bess, My Fair Lady, which they're saying works, not operas. Okay, fair enough. Um, Amal and the Night Visitors, Candide, Dead Man Walking, Little Women, The Bout of Baby Doe, Three Decembers, and Sweeney Todd. Hey, nice. Yeah, this statistic is uh, collected since 1991. And I don't know if it's globally or if that's just in the Americas. Okay. That information is not presented. I got that information from Opera America's website. Okay. Another way that the companies can, you know, we talked about these outreach performances, is that there's a lot of, especially if you're looking at 20th century opera, there's a lot of short one acts that you could do like of course Il Tritico the Puccini stuff is there are three pieces that you usually can do all three together if you want a really long night yeah. the, he actually uh wanted them to be only produced together that yeah that was uh his wish I don't think it gets fulfilled very often 
Yeah. Most people are like, uh, Giacomo, we don't care. Um, <laughs> but uh, the one piece that I really love that actually is super relevant now, even though it was written in the what is it, 50s or 60s, is the telephone, Uh, the the Minotti piece. Because uh it's it's a couple that the guy wants to ask her to marry him, but she won't get off her stupid phone. It just keeps ringing and ringing. And I can't think of a more applicable show than right now in the the age of that we're living. So there are pieces out there. There's also things like secular cantatas. I'm a huge proponent of those that while they're not technically operas, they are secular. So why not just treat them as operas? You know, there's stuff like Pimpinone, the Telemann, uh, Les Amantrais, which is by Rameau. I've done that one uh, in concert. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's lots of these short one acts with a couple of people that if either you're looking for outreach or you're just a small company and you want to be able to do something at for for example, a bar that's mm-hmm. like 30 to 60 minutes long, super engaging, fun music. There is stuff out there. You just got to do a little bit, get a little bit of digging. Honestly, the digging has been done for you, though. If, if you're a company and you want to produce one of these, either you want to produce an American opera, you want to produce uh, a one act or, you know, shorter opera, maybe only has, you know, one, two, three characters. You can go on Opera America's website and they have a database and you can search through that database based on those criteria. Oh, okay. I'm fascinated by... <laughs> databases you know the musicologist <laughs> in me just loves doing research so nerd um, i've <laughs> surprise right yeah <laughs> yeah it's available to you even there's even a database of works by women composers i don't think it's it's not particular to opera but it's just classical composers oh, okay. uh, the information is available to companies to find it and, and rather easily it's not you're not going to go have to go spend hours and hours on the internet and looking through card catalogs at the library yeah much easier than that speaking of great one acts by a female composer the vr doe cinderella is yeah. off the charts good and also yeah for piano and singers so already if you're looking for something that's easy to produce and great music that's one piece that's on my list of stuff to produce at some point all right last thing and this is where it gets not necessarily touchy between rachel and i but it just gets touchy in general is the whole idea of do we want to make a political and or social statement with our pieces and if so are we ready for the blowback and do we have a plan because there are some pieces for example this happened before the huge thing in our country about political correctness it was just kind of brewing at the time but there's a company in seattle called the uh, seattle gilbert and sullivan society and they had a production of the mikado that was supposed to happen oh geez it's like five years ago now i think at this point and it got shut down because of outrage from the asian american community in seattle because the gilbert and sullivan society the people who perform for it mostly white people and and the mikado takes place in japan and so The Asian-American community feels that it's making fun of Asians. It's being whitewashed by a bunch of white people singing. The piece itself is actually making fun of British society at the time. It's a dated show, and it 
didn't age well. So yeah. it definitely, ha- it, in order for it to be consumed and accepted by modern audiences, there are certain things you either have to say, look, th- these were beliefs at the time, and it has to be like a curated performance and understanding the attitudes and things, or you have to, to make changes and say, okay, we're choosing to make changes because we understand that these are offensive things. Yeah, what's interesting is it got shut down, and mm-hmm. then the next season, Tacoma Opera was going to do it, but then they switched it to HMS Pinafore after that happened. Of course, now a lot of people, because we live in the age of Trump, they're doing Trump versions of the Mikado because they think that Trump is like the emperor, and that's their prerogative. I'm not here to argue whether that is or is not true at this point. There's one done by Bronx Opera earlier. I guess it'd be last year, since we're now in 2020, where they they have the whole scene with the the Emperor of Japan, and it's Glee in the White House briefing room, and it has like tittypoo.gov and all this stuff like on the (laughs) on the background. And to be fair, I've also written a Trump version of the Mikado. I haven't finished it yet, but I don't know. That one's kind of on the back burner. You know, there are shows like that. Madam Butterfly, like we talked about. Porgy and Bess is, has become a political thing because there's a company in Hungary. Yeah, Hungary. Oh, yeah. The, the story takes place in the South, and the whole thing is about African-Americans. Yeah. Well, and Gershwin specifically stated that he wanted it to be played by uh, African-Americans instead of anyone. Just- whoever yeah Yeah. i mean like how do you even come up with the idea of how a white person is supposed to portray african-american lives in this time period like it's just it's to me it's completely preposterous that you would do it any other way i think though from what i've read it was more we just want to do it and we don't care what the gershwin estate says because we're not in america um, yeah. You know, then you have things like Aida, where a lot of people will say, well, the Aida has to be an African descent. Right. So should not everybody else be of also African descent if we're going to set it in yeah. Egypt? Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, you Middle know, Eastern the... descent. What do you, what do you want to, how do you want to approach that? Yeah. The thing is, for me personally, we I just always ask the question, okay, if we're going to have a purity standard, how are we going to do the majority of these shows? And still be inclusive because i personally believe it's more about the voice and about the person who is portraying the role than it is about taking into consideration those things now if you can marry those things where the person who sings it the best also happens to be ethnicity or the right whatever that's great i think there are particular roles that i think you can't play around with that and and for me i think i think if you're gonna do aida and you're not gonna use black people in the roles that are supposed to be black then you have to set it in a completely different place you have to take it out of context right okay but then are are you going to also change because they have specific mentions of egypt in the LeBron so are you going to change that then i think you would have, have to. to you would have to now i don't think most companies do that they kind of did that in our in our production the way they did it in the production that we were in at seattle they made some choices so that they could skirt the whole issue like the ethiopian slaves when i i was in a production at another company and blackface was involved 
Oh, wow. And it made everyone uncomfortable. And this was in the last five years, very unacceptable to be done. Yeah, especially in the United States. Not saying it's okay other places, but especially in the United States. Companies make choices in order to skirt these racial issues. And I think the production we were in did this. If you're going to do a piece that's potentially charged one way or the other, you need to be ready for the blowback because it's going to come. There's, I mean, there's always critics, right? No matter, even if you don't do something that's charging, there's always going to be critics. Yeah. I also think that you can either read into it or it already exists. There's, there's a social or political statement in every art piece. That's fair. Yeah. And I firmly believe that art should be a reflection of the society and that to take that away from art is to make it derivative to me what's the point yeah so here's a question for you and we haven't discussed this so if you uh don't want to answer you don't have to but like how does that if we're saying that art which i agree with you it should reflect society how do we deal with directors visions in shows when they clearly don't really match what the original intent was i'm thinking specifically they have this argument all the time with don giovanni the opening scene uh, between don anna and giovanni some people say anna was totally into giovanni and he took it too far Other people say Giovanni was clearly raping her, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's why she escaped. How do we, either as directors and or singers, deal with the potentially um, sticky situations, no pun intended, with those kinds of statements? You know, because there are some people that are like, well, that scene should read a certain way or not the way that you're doing it. What do you think? And I think definitely if you're in a production, you have to have a conversation with your director you know, if if you have thoughts and feelings about a particular scene and how you believe your character is supposed to be represented and they may not agree with you and you end up having to do what the director says because, hey, they're your boss in a sense. You shouldn't feel afraid to have conversations about it. You have to understand the perspective that they're coming from. And I mean, it will help them as a director, too, if they understand where you're at and they can help guide you or make adjustments if that's something that they're willing to do i honestly it's great that you bring that particular scene up because two different audience members are going to see it different ways because it it all depends on on their their life experiences and perspectives Mm -hmm. i may as an audience member see that it was a rape and the person next to me might see that it was a one night stand gone bad and that you know that there's regrets involved yeah i don't know that there is one way to represent it and portray it Mm mm-hmm that's fair. Yeah, I guess everything is in the the eye and ear of the beholder. I guess as companies and directors and stuff, we all take risks. I don't know. I just feel yep. like sometimes directors, they do at least one of two things, maybe even one of three, if I can think of another one. One, they do do it as it is, as ugly as a thing may be. Or two, they pander and or try to change things. And some, t- I guess it goes down to sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Ultimately, audiences have, they have a pretty good BS reader, especially if the singer themselves is not sold on the vision because you can hear it, right? 
That's one of the things yeah. that I always know the great singers because I'm not always fortunate to have the close seats in an opera house <laughs> for various reasons. But the great singers for me are the ones when I'm sitting in the back and I can hear and feel every single thing that they're saying, even though I can't even see what their face is doing. Absolutely. For me, I think that companies or you know directors shouldn't shy away from some sort of statement they want to make with an opera. Go for it. I do want to say that I think that if you're trying to make a statement it needs to at least be in the vein of what's in the opera i think sometimes the statements people try and make statements and it's just not there mm-hmm. like if we want to talk like fidelio is a great opera to do if you want to make statements on political prisoners or just anything to do with the justice system and corruption and there yeah. are other operas that fit into this but like choosing which repertoire that that you use and present to talk about a a particular political or social issue will give that cause uh, better clout. If I wanted to make a statement about violence against women, I would need to choose an opera where there is violence against women. Because if I chose to do an opera where there's not, it wouldn't really make sense. Yeah. I I would be putting putting a facade on something and forcing it, (laughs) which doesn't work very well. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, there's always the program notes, and that's a great Mm -hmm. place for for the director of the show to say, hey, this is what I'm hoping to do. That way it's clear, number one. And number two, it's not weird for certain people that are like, why are they doing this? This is not what the show I thought was about. If you're not in the situation as the director to come out before the performance and and give your spiel. Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of people have ideas of like what certain operas are about and they don't necessarily understand that there are subplots, right? That Tosca's a love story, but there's also an undercurrent of corruption within it, right? Yeah. They, 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 these operas have, in themselves, already have statements that are going on that aren't just about love or about heroes, mythology, whatever opera you want to choose to talk about. There's usually an undercurrent in each of them that doesn't even have to be read into it's just part of the plot for example elixir of love drinking obviously gets you women clearly mm-hmm. yes and snake oils <laughs> and snake oils <laughs> carmen sometimes talking back isn't a good idea because you get stabbed i don't know these are all terrible you probably should cut them <laughs> <laughs> I, well, Carmen is definitely, you know, in a negative sense, was a representation of Roma people. Oh, true. Yeah. That's another piece that's politically charging, too, if you don't have... So, oh, like, definitely. Yeah. Especially as we become more sensitive as audience members, right? Not not just sensitive, like, we take everything personally, but sensitive to the feelings of other people in the audience and other people in the world. That these, these aren't just entertainment pieces. They have the power to change people's perspectives and they have stereotypes involved with them that aren't acceptable yeah i think we're we're getting off on a long tangent here but okay i think that the the main point of this whole episode is to encourage american uh north american companies this you know can include our neighbors canada and mexico as well to produce more operas in their native tongues and more modern opera totally it's definitely like you mentioned that's the future of opera 
opera, literally. I mean, at one point, Traviata was modern. Yeah, every every opera was, was new at some point. And it's definitely interesting to see which ones are most popular now. Because if you read throughout history, there are certain composers that were really, really popular during their life and really aren't popular now. One of those is Donizetti. Which is sad. I love his That's stuff. not to say that Donizetti's music doesn't get done, but every Donizetti opera was like super popular and there's only a handful that really get done now. Which is sad. He writes great stuff. He does. Beautiful music. I feel the same way about Massonet. I think more Massonet opera needs to be done. Yeah. But less Bohem. <laughs> less Bohem. <laughs> I'm sorry. For me, <laughs> yeah, Puccini's a little overrated in my mind. Yeah. And I, so is Mozart. I think both are a little overrated. I think they're important. I think everybody should see an opera by them. But for God's sake, let's put some other operas on. For sure. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your thoughts and requests, so leave us a comment below. For more information about the podcast or for extras, check out our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash opera unbound. You can help support the creation of this and much more content for as little as $3 a month. Like and subscribe to our channel and also follow us on Instagram at opera unbound to stay updated. Ciao. Thank you.